Welcome to the Not Your Average Gun Girl Show. We are your hosts. I'm Emily Valentine from Style Me Tactical. And I'm Amy Robbins from Alexa Athletica. We are a lifestyle show meant to empower women to live confident, prepared, and self-reliant lives. We talk everything from our favorite beauty products to concealed carry firearms and everything in between. We bring guests on our show with compelling stories that will inspire and encourage you in your journey. Now, you can not only listen to the audio, part of the Concealed Carry Network, on your favorite podcast streaming service, but you can also watch our show by going to OpsLens.com or downloading the OpsLens app. This episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Guardian Nation is the community for devoted gun people focused on guarding themselves, their families, homes, and communities. We hope that you'll check it out and consider joining. Whether it be for the monthly training and drill videos, discounts on products in their store, the monthly Guardian Nation Live broadcast with top industry professionals, or the quarterly box of hand-picked Guardian gear, there's something for everyone in becoming a member of Guardian Nation. Check it out at GuardianNation.com. Welcome back. We are here at Turning Point USA's Young Women's Leadership Summit. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We are having a great time here. Yes, we are. We love it. We love coming to these things. And um, you guys might see and hear a familiar face. <laughs> One of our veteran <laughs> guests. We love Miss Brie Michael Warner of Tactical. That's how all you all know her. She is... Um, a Jane of all trades. I love that. I don't I know. really know what it is that Brie doesn't do. <laughs> Actress, do you have the whole producer. List? Yeah. Um, it's just growing. Firearm, firearm instructor, instructor, dog mom. And, and I want to, I'm very proud to say this next part. And wife, new wife. Yay. Congratulations. I think yeah. since the last time we had you on, you were not married. I, was and not, now I wasn't are. even engaged at that point. No. Lots have happened. Well, and that's the fun thing, too. So for those of you who are watching us now on Opslins Media, this is a new face for yes. you. But for those, this is yeah. what Miss Brie Michael yes. Warner looks like. Yes, it's always been like the, you know, the voices. I was going to say, the those that have been following along the podcast <laughs> for quite some time know, I like to say that you're our, our resident she expert is. Not your average gun girl guest. You, I love you've it. been on here. So I think you are now officially have been on the show the, the most. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. Yes. Well, it's great to like watch the show evolve and what you guys have done thank with you. it and it's thank blossoming you. and it's just I'm like so honored to always well, come back. Look, we oh, we love having you. <laughs> love you are, having you are you. a the, part of our squad. We love it. The fact that we are here with this many amazing women all in one place, we could not miss the opportunity to get everybody together right. and have some of our favorites on awesome. the show. Well, so I think also what's very different about this is like most people know that every time we have Brian or the times that you, like you see us with her is always at SHOT Show. And yep. besides the evening events at SHOT Show, like we're not really dressed up, but here <laughs> it's a little bit of a different level. Like we've been in heels all day long. Yes. We've had to dress a little bit nicer. Well, it's a summit on, of fourteen hundred on... young women, so right. like we kind of need to dress. Which nicely. is kind of which <laughs> is, even I which traded is... in my tennis shoes for the heels, everybody. What I think is uh, great is like usually when we're recording at Shot Show, like we just see the people walking by, and it's like it's. No offense to the patrons at SHOT Show, but there's there's not much eye candy or fashion to be seen. However, sitting here, like all the young girls walking back, oh like I'm just like, oh, I'm I'm like 
having these conversations, I'm like, oh, I like those shoes. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what's she got going on over there? Like, I, I want to go find out what that is. There are, it's, it's, a, it's a nice change, I think, because yes. it's definitely very yes. not your average gun Well, girls. I was going to say, there's a plethora Absolutely. of non-average gun girls yeah. here yes. at, at, this, at this show. Yeah, it's, it's like coming into like our whole family, like a, yes, a sisterhood. Exactly. That you don't really always get at Chacho. Yeah. Right. Honestly, Chacho, predominantly the, the demographic is mostly yes. men yeah uh, which is fine you know I understand that but it's really nice to be in an environment where we are surrounded by so yeah. many like-minded Absolutely. women yeah. mm -hmm. that women that are here actually to help build each other up mm -hmm. which is not always an easy thing to find right yep so. and support one another and it, it brings everybody together where you can say hey we may not live in the same places yeah. but we can still encourage and support however we can and one of those big platforms right now is through social media for everybody that's how we all met each yeah. other yeah Exactly. I, I, I'm the like, that's how I met some of my best friends in the world was through Instagram. They're my Insta besties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. I mean, Emily and I, we had been following each other for quite some time right. before we actually got to physically meet in person. It was, yeah. great. It was so great. It's so great. <laughs> it was so great. Well, so, you know, if you have listened or haven't caught the episodes from the past, go back and listen to them because Bree shares some of her knowledge and wisdom. She is a firearms expert. She shares a lot about concealed carry mm -hmm. and tips. So go back and check those episodes out yeah. because today, Today, we want to focus on something a little bit different. We want the real, real Brie, Brie Warner. Warner. Yes, please stand, stand up. up. Exactly, right? <laughs> That's exactly. It's like a side that we never really get to, to hear or talk about. Well, and it's funny because, you know, I when I started getting into the firearms community, everything became so much about that, and I love that, and I'm so grateful for all those opportunities. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, when, when I was sort of thinking about today's, you know, episode and, like, you know, the talking points and things like that, I realize, I mean, we, we laugh about my ever-growing list of, of careers. I call it an eclectic resume. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's, you know, what I think is so amazing about it, and it's something that I'm seeing when I look around this, this whole summit with these young women, is that you never should be afraid to reinvent yourself. And what you might start, what path you may start off in the beginning of your, your life and your career, sure. you're not locked to it. And yeah. I think so often when we're that young, we think, oh my gosh, this is my career goal and I have to just plug right. away and do this for the rest of my life until I retire and grow old. But that's what you're taught. You're taught like, okay, you're right. going to go to college. You need to pick your yeah. major. And based on that major is your career. So yeah. everything you have to do leading up to that career, and that is basically going to be your life. Yeah, yeah. no, I, it, it is. And I think the whole thing that we're celebrating while we're here is that you can't, you do not have to fit into a box. Right. No. Conservatism is about that. That is what is so great about being a conservative is because you value freedom of thought, mm -hmm. freedom of speech, mm -hmm. freedom in general. Yeah. And that is what we're all here gathering and celebrating this week. We find out with each other that, you know, we don't all agree on every single political issue of the day that's going mm -hmm. on. But what really rallies all of us together, we want to celebrate the Second Amendment, obviously, yeah. here on this show. Yeah. But also, you know, we had a, a banquet this weekend and got to hear from one of just the most incredible women oh I've ever gosh, heard, goodness. Nikki Haley, uh, former UN ambassador, uh, governor yeah. of South Carolina, first yep. female governor of South Carolina. Yep. And she had such an inspiring story of strength. Yes. And I, she's not alone in that. We have a lot yeah, of inspiring yeah. stories of strength around here and you do as oh, well. And you. I want to hear your story mm -hmm. on kind of how you got where you are today and doing what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the Nikki Haley uh, speech last night. The, there's one kernel of information that she had given out. It was just so perfectly said for, I think, for a lot of people in the room, but for myself especially, I really got a lot out of it. She said, you have to push through the yes. fear. Loved it. And yes. 
that has honestly been like the testimony I would say mm-hmm. of my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, my background, <laughs> my background was very opposite of what I'm presently doing today. So when I was first starting out, when I was a young girl, I from a very early age wanted to get into entertainment. I wanted to be an actress. Like that was that was the end goal. And so you know, I, I was very blessed. I worked really hard through school, and I ended up applying for uh, University of Southern California for college. Now, I have to say, and it's, this is, it's a wonderful memory that I have of my mother because this is sort of like embodies who she was as a, as a woman and as my mother. And so when I applied for USC, that college at the time actually cost uh, more than my mother made in a year sure. for her income. Mm-hmm. She was a single parent. Um, you know, we, we struggled. Uh, there, there were many times where, you know, I'm sure that was screeching by to pay those bills and she... She just did an incredible job showing me what perseverance looked like. And so when I applied to USC, I'm sure she was panic-stricken because it's sort of like, well, I can't afford this. But she didn't want to discourage me. And so I went ahead with that plan. I ended up getting accepted. And what was amazing is that once I got accepted, it was like, okay, how are we going to financially do this? I was so blessed. uh, And I do attribute to everything you do when you're really young, all through your schooling, it matters. It's important. You have to base it on working hard and integrity. Because of that, I was able to get about $100,000 in grant money wow. to go to USC. So I essentially almost got a full ride. Wow. I wasn't an athlete. Um, you know, I, I, I can't even say I was always a super, you know, hardcore straight A student, but I worked very hard. I was very active in my community. I did a lot of public outreach. And I think I tried to make myself a very well-rounded Mm -hmm. young person. So that I, you know, I would think, I guess that was attractive to the school and it allowed me and provided me this opportunity. And I also would accredit it to my faith. I mean, God is the ultimate (laughs) provider (laughs) and he really came through on that. And I got the biggest, uh, Oh, he's got got like the bank account. Oh, it's amazing. So yeah. So I was really fortunate. I, I got to, you know, fly out to California. I went to my dream school. It was amazing. And when I graduated, it, you know, it just sort of like, I never understood the word no. I didn't have any fear. I just kind of pushed through. And I think that was something that I learned as I got older would have been one of the things that has helped me so much growing as a human being. Yeah. So, you know, again, I, I was doing acting and, and that was going actually really well and, and working a lot. And funny enough, uh, the one aspect of my life that I felt like there was a bit of a void was was romance, was love. You know, I had... I was one of those girls that kept putting myself, kept choosing the wrong guy. And I don't know if it's because I wasn't ready yet or right. I didn't have enough faith in myself and therefore I wasn't attracting what I deserved. So ultimately, I kind of thought, well, my career is going really right, but I'm really, I'm, I'm sad. I'm lonely. I, I'm wanting to find love and maybe I'm never going to find it. And I was literally about to go to New York on a romantic, uh, you know, I'm sorry, not a romantic getaway, but <laughs> it was it was somebody that I was like kind of dating yeah. and he wanted to make it sort of like this romantic thing. And we were you know, probably like a couple months into the dating and all of a sudden the plan stopped being discussed and I wasn't really sure what was happening. And funny enough, about a couple weeks before we said we were actually going to go, we we're going to go for um, uh, the the parade, the Thanksgiving Day parade mm-hmm. in Macy's. Yep. I found out that he was also dating somebody else on the side. Gosh. And at that point, I was like, you know what? No more. 
Like, I need to be done with these types of people. They don't value me. I need to stand firm to understand what it is that I want for myself and to not settle for anything less than that. And I was like, why am I waiting to go to New York on a romantic getaway with with somebody when I can just take myself? (laughs) There you go. So I literally did. I, I went online. I booked myself a ticket. I was like, I'm going to go take myself on a romantic getaway to New York. And in the midst of this, you know, at that point in my life, I was, again, doing acting. But I was actually also doing a couple things on the side. Because anybody that works in entertainment, we know that it's very inconsistent work. So you yes. kind of have to fill in yeah. the gaps with other, other work. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually doing some graphic design at the time, some photography. And so someone that I had been working with long distance in New York, uh, who was based out of there, I gave him a ring because I was like, Hey, maybe I'll set up a meeting. I can get some more work in sure. New York. Yeah. Well, when I take myself on this romantic getaway, I set up a business meeting. <laughs> I show up for the business meeting, and about two hours into it, I realize that something's different. Like, I wasn't expecting it. All of a sudden, this person that I was sitting across from that I really looked as like a, a business peer suddenly appeared very different to me. And we had this connection, and I quickly realized that what should have been a one-hour meeting turned into like literally a 14-hour date. I love that. And it was a whirlwind. And what was what was great and what I loved about that time is I was going to be there for a week. And I had chalked my schedule like back-to-back of everything sure in New York I did. wanted to do. And this poor guy, like he was like, I, I would love to see you again. Like when do you have... And I'm like, I'm free at midnight because I'm going to see a show <laughs> and then I'm going to go have drinks with the friend. I can see you then. And he made a point to meet me wherever he could, which Aww. I thought was... And I wasn't trying to play a game. I just was like, I am not going right. to make this trip sure. about a guy. That, yeah, yeah, that wasn't the point. Because I, as a woman, I always made everything about a guy. And I was like, why am I doing that? Yeah. Like, I don't need to do that. So in the midst of all of this, you know, we, we set a schedule to have dinner one night. He's in the middle of like full-on stomach flu. It was bad. <laughs> we go to dinner. You know, every 10 minutes he's excusing himself. I'm sure he was mortified. But the fact that this guy just really went over and beyond to try to make time with me. And even when I went back to L.A., I was like, I am in the too hard category. I live 3,000 miles away. This is virtually impossible. And I have to say, he called me every single day. And that was over a Thanksgiving week. Yeah. And by January, I'd flown out to New York for a uh, another trip to specifically see him. Yeah, I did. By March, we were already talking of like maybe I can come to New York. The stars aligned. My agents were like, "We have a New York office. You can go there. We'll represent you." So the the ball was in motion. And by June, so six seven months later, I was moving to New York, and now I was engaged, <laughs> which was pretty insane. But you know, I have to say. Again, what I learned as I got older is when you meet somebody and when you know, like that really, I cannot express enough how valid that is. Mm -hmm. When you know, you know. And it's simple and you don't have to work for it. And it's just, it's it's effortless. And I think that was something that really triggered me to go, wow, I, I, I can feel my life changing. Yeah. Right. So I, you know, I moved to New York now. I'm engaged. We got married six months later. And this is where the push through the fear, where um, having perseverance, all of the survival techniques that my mother had taught me as a young woman of how to really just stay strong and and be firm and everything and moving forward. 
my life kind of started to, to change a little bit. You know, I'd always felt like a little bit of a life of Riley. I was always very blessed and fortunate to have good things tend to happen yeah. pretty, pretty easily. And it was when I got married that things became more challenging and not because my, mar- my marriage was actually wonderful. What was happening is that we had both decided we wanted a family right away. So we kind of took out the floodgates and we're like, well, we're not going to try, but we're not going to not try. try. (laughs) And funny enough, we got pregnant after the first month and we were like, whoa, that that was was really fast. Wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thought we were going to have a little bit more time. Yeah, exactly. We were just like newlyweds and all of a sudden now we, we are pregnant. And very early on in that pregnancy, we started getting, you know, information from our doctor that something wasn't right. It just, it, it wasn't progressing the way that it should. And a, about 12 weeks in, we ended up having a miscarriage. And I have to say, as traumatic as that experience was, I am so thankful for it because I think what it did is that it showed me how to survive what I pretty much would have described as my first encounter with real tragedy. Because sure. at that point, you know, I was fortunate. I hadn't lost a lot of relatives to, to passing away. And I, my life was very good. My, my mm-hmm. childhood was yeah. wonderful. So for me, this was like the first major tragedy I would face. And my husband and I at the time, we had gone through it. It brought us really close as a couple. We, we were very thankful that we had each other to support. And so now, once we sort of got through that, we decided, well, let's get back on the horse and let's try again. Sure. Yeah. And we continued to try. And we did this for about three years. And where a lot of couples might have gone kind of crazy in that process yeah. of trying to conceive. And every, I got to say, every month when you're, when you're really trying to conceive and every month, you know, your, your female cycle comes and you realize you're not pregnant, it's like having a mini miscarriage because it's like a yeah. mini disappointment yeah. every single month because your expectation is always very hopeful mm-hmm. and you want to maintain that And you can't help that. Like you there's, can't. There's right. no way to not, even though you say, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be hopeful, I'm going to kind of like try to bear that, it's, it's, it's there. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's very difficult to keep that under control where you don't allow it to rein in the negativity mm-hmm. in every other aspect of your yeah, life. Right. And I do credit that I had a great marriage. I picked the right guy finally in my life that we had at least each other. We, we swore. We we're like, you know what? We're going to keep trying, but we're not going to stop living. Yep. So we would travel. We did all the things that we wanted to do as a couple. Yeah. And we traveled so much. I traveled more in the three years than I probably did in a lifetime at that point. Yeah. And about three years in, you know, we, we had done all the testing, nothing, we couldn't figure out what was going on. Like there wasn't really any answers for myself. And, you know, when, when a couple is struggling to conceive, it's not about whose fault it is. It's not because it's, it's two people and it's circumstances that nobody can control. And that was really important to us that we never put blame on anybody, but it, it, it did turn out that my husband just had, you know, a couple things that were not super unusual, but they were going on with him. And that was sort of impeding maybe our ability to, to get pregnant. So we were, it was adjusted to us that he would go in for a procedure, a very simple outpatient procedure to kind of help, help the yeah. cause, if you will. And unfortunately, again, you know, God's plan is always much bigger than ours and we don't always have the answers. And I would say we probably will never have all the answers until we cross over. Right. But on our journey, my husband had gone in for this procedure. And unfortunately, from that, he developed uh, blood clots that we didn't know about. It was unbeknownst to us. And a few days after his procedure, he ended up suffering from a pulmonary embolism. And my life at that point just stopped. I will say without a doubt, when 
when he had the embolism, a number of things happened that I think, again, God's plan is so much greater than we could ever understand. So when he collapsed with the embolism and he was rushed to, to the trauma unit, a few things occurred. One of which is that I don't know why, but I was very fortunate and very grateful that the first responders allowed me to kind of help. I think they realized I was, I was so in control of my emotions and I was able to compartmentalize and I was able to actually function quite well in the midst of trauma. And yeah. I think they were realizing that he was really responding to me much more than anybody else. And so they allow me to sort of be participant in that experience. And while I have very, you know, dramatic memories of that, mm -hmm. I'm also very thankful because I was with him every single moment. And that, I think, for me, gave me a lot of closure. And so, you know, they're working at him, you know, on him, you know, when the, when the first responders came on board. And we finally transported him to the hospital, to the trauma unit. And again, I don't know why, but it was kind of a grace of God. They allowed me actually to go into the trauma room with him. I was in there the entire time. I had doctors asking me questions. I was able to give as much medical history as I knew. And I think, it, again, it was allowing me to sort of go through this process, mm -hmm. but also feel like I was, I was helping as a wife the best that I could. Sure. You know, there's still certain limitations, but I was able to at least fight for my, for my husband. Yeah. And the unfortunate part, he ended up having a cardiac arrest and... What was the turning point of that is that the hospital, the staff had worked so tirelessly and so, like, just the, the amount of effort that they had put into trying to resuscitate him, they actually got him back. And about an hour after his heart had completely stopped, yeah. and he, they had been doing nonstop CPR, and I remember looking at the clock and I was like, I don't no, this is not a movie, but I don't know at what point do they turn around and they call it and they right. just say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I'm so moved by their drive and their tenacity and their willingness to just do everything and anything they could to try to, to, to revive him. And then all of a sudden, very quietly, the doctor goes and takes, tries to take a pulse and he's like, wait, hold on. They start getting a pulse. His heart starts picking up the pace, and it was as if, like, nothing had happened. Wow. And it was the craziest moment. And unfortunately, though, you know, there was a, there was a light of hope, I will say, uh, because no one really knew what was going on at that point. But they treated it for everything. And once we brought him in to get a CAT scan, they realized that most likely it was not a heart attack. What it was was the embolism. Mm. And there was, um, he was deprived of oxygen. For, for, so long. for that full yeah. hour. I mean, really, the first few minutes, my understanding is once that surpasses, the damage is irreversible. Yeah. So he, you know, he, his, his brain had had such severe damage and trauma that the prognosis was very, very grim. But nevertheless, they treated him. They, it was so wonderful, too. They treated him as if, you know, he had a brain injury and we're going to try to do whatever we can. He was in the hospital for about five days. And during that time, we had lots of doctors coming in. We had lots of second, third opinions, lots of scans. And, and ultimately, the prognosis stayed the same, mm -hmm. that he had uh, suffered a, a complete brain death. Um, there, it was really, there was no coming back from that. Mm -hmm. Physically, as far as they define it, he had died. Mm -hmm. Although his physical body was still alive and his heart was pumping, he, his brain had died and, and therefore life, it ceased to exist. 
And during that time, he and I were both registered donors. And I am a big advocate of organ donation. I know there's there's a lot of people that have misconceptions about that because they're like, oh, if you're an organ donor, they're not going to work on you. They're going to let you die because they want your body parts. Right. And it's like, yeah, I never really it, thought about that. Yeah. It doesn't work that way mm. because here's the reality. In order for you to be a successful organ donor, your heart has to continue beating. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you die, uh, the moment your heart stops, your organs start okay. to go into just, you know, a category of like failure. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they just start to um, diminish and fail and they're no longer viable. And so the whole idea that people aren't going to work. I mean, look, they worked on him. Yeah. His heart stopped. They worked on him for a complete hour. Yeah. He's a registered donor. They yeah. already knew that. And so I, I'm a big advocate of it because why I felt like for myself, it was such a, um, a gift that we had decided to do that, you know, mm-hmm. years ago was that because they resuscitated him and his now his heart was beating again, they were able to find multiple matches. Amazing. They had approached me and they said, look, you know, we've run some tests. We've got some matches. You're both donors. Our, we just need to sign off on this. And we walked through the whole process and the coordinators were amazing. It was an organization. Um, they're called Live On New York and they were incredible. Their, their patient coordinators were just phenomenal. And so we walked through the process and I'm like, this is what we both wanted. And I'm, I'm thankful that although we had gotten the notification that he had ceased, you know, that he had passed away, that somebody got that call that night mm-hmm. to say, get to the hospital. No matter how long you've been waiting on that list, yeah. you now have a Chills. second chance of life. Yeah. And for me, that allowed my husband not only to be a hero in my eyes and it allowed his death to not be in vain, Mm -hmm. but it also, it just showed me that life continues on. Mm -hmm. And that's why when Nikki Haley said the whole thing about pushing through the fear, my goodness, when I was in the room, when the neurologist had done the examination and gave that final prognosis and I could tell right away the look on his face, I knew what they were looking for. when he turned around to give me the news, I I knew it. I already knew it in my heart. And I mean, it was a, it was not a very pretty moment. I mm. crawled into that bed. I wailed. Like I would have never heard that sound come out of my mm. own body. In that moment, I had no idea what the rest of my life was going right. to be like. What I had been doing meant nothing. I would have traded all of it to have him back. Yeah. And it was just this defining moment of, okay. I can either surrender to this grief and succumb to it, or I'm going to have to figure out how to pick myself up and push through this. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was my defining moment. And I, and I was so thankful. And again, it was all the things that I was given, all the gifts of, of uh, an upbringing from my mother about perseverance and strength and never like defying the odds, mm-hmm. never taking no for the answer, really working hard, that that's what prepared me. Going through a miscarriage, sure. that okay. grief prepared me for what was to come. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that that was the significance. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times people, they, they want a life of comfort right. so much, not actually understanding that the difficult things that we go right. through 
are preparing you for something more. Yes. So to look at, look at tragedy, look at the difficult things that, because we're all going to yeah. have it. Every single one of us, we're not going to be immune from tragedy at all. But instead of running from it and shrinking back from it, to face it, like you said, to face it, to, to cry out and ask, like, what is the lesson right. yeah. to be learned here? Because, like, what am I being prepared for mm -hmm. in the future? Yeah. And how is this going to help me get to it? Because most definitely your life then took a very different turn mm, totally. on yeah. where you were going with the direction of your life because of all the things that you had just been prepared for. So, Absolutely. so where did you go from there? Sure. Well, you know, I did a lot of soul searching and my faith is honestly what really pulled me through. Um, I, I relied heavily on God. I was constantly having conversations with him. I mean, it was, it was my therapy and it was mm -hmm. sort of like, okay, God, what do you want me what do you want me to do in this next chapter? Right. I, you know, I've, I'm suddenly, I feel very vulnerable again. Um, my whole sense of stability has been taken from beneath my feet. Yeah. The career that I was doing doesn't quite have the same satisfaction that it did. I mean, entertainment is wonderful, but in some regards it can be very self-serving. And I felt like I wanted to do more. I wanted to be more of service. I wanted my my life and, and the legacy that I hope to create to be more than just fulfilling my own selfish desires of working in entertainment and doing those things. And I think seeing my, my husband pass away in the way that he did and being able to grant life, you know, give life to somebody else, it was sort of I realized in that moment, this is where I want to I want to go this direction. I don't know what yeah. that direction looks like. So you know, going along with the, the vulnerability and, and sort of figuring out my ways, you know, I, I was fortunate to have people put on my path that mm -hmm. I think were an absolute necessity. And I'm so thankful for all the different, I always, when I was growing up, I always called the different players that come into yeah. your life mm -hmm. and some of them stay there's they're right. there for a season, a mm -hmm. reason or a lifetime. Right. And so, you know, when I actually started to come out of the woodwork and start to date again, uh, I had ended up meeting somebody who was, was a full-time police officer, which was so different than I had ever dated sure. in my entire life. But I think that was the necessary path to take. Mm -hmm. And so we started dating, and he was also a firearms instructor. So one of our earliest dates, he took me to the range. And I was like, well, let me see if she has any interest in this. And I always talked about being a tomboy growing up. So I think he thought maybe there's probably some commonality. <laughs> and we went to the range, and we shot, and, and I really liked it. And you know, I have a thing about like, I hate doing something when I'm not good at it. Oh, like, yeah. I just, yeah. <laughs> Perfection paralysis. I, yes, yeah. it is. And if I'm not good, I, I just get really frustrated and I don't like to do it. And it just so happened, thankfully, that um, shooting was yeah. something that I, I kind of had a natural ability mm -hmm. towards. So what turned, you know, was like a, just a, a third or fourth day turned into a bona fide interest. And what I loved about shooting was that not only was it fun and it gave me sort of an outlet, but I also realized that it, it made me feel very empowered because now I was able to sort of be sure. more mindful of my own self-protection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was a challenge that I, I kind of was able to focus on. And, yeah. and that process of, of learning and doing, you know, I was training with him, but I was also training with a lot of other instructors, a lot of special forces mm -hmm. guys, um, you know, people that I felt like, you know, they were going to be my mentors, my, yeah. my firearms mentors. Yeah. But what was sad that I realized is that I would go to a class and I would literally be the only woman in an yeah. entire class. Yeah. And I couldn't understand why because I said, this is fine. Like, why do women not yeah. want to do this? Yeah. 
Well, I realize that maybe sometimes the gruffness, the bravado of sometimes of these the, the male instructors, because men learn very differently, yeah. and, and they like the, the the jockeying for you know first place, and they like you know the jabs and stuff. Yep. Women shut down, <laughs> especially when women aren't super comfortable. If you start to like pick on them and make fun and like jab them, they'll just shut down. Yeah. So I realize that okay, I'm okay with this because I was always hanging out with the boys, but most women would not be, and it really kind of made me go, wait. I like shooting. I'm looking for something that I can be of service. I can branch out. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something. And that's what led me. I, I started Tactical. And originally Tactical was just going to be kind of like a, a blog of my journey. Mm-hmm. And then once I really started to see a need for providing firearms instruction mm-hmm. to women yeah. by a woman that yeah. understood that it's it can be a little intimidating. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had the pleasure of watching <laughs> the metamorphosis of Tactic Out because I remember you had yes. a, little, a big, heavy emphasis on the fashion side of it as well because it was a big part of your life. Mm-hmm. You are a big fashionista. And yeah. that, I think, is what connected all of us. We yeah. all had blogs at that time. Yes, I had a blog back in the <laughs> yes. um, You know, like, but I remember that. like, And that's what kind of connected yeah. all of us together was that love for fashion, firearms, faith, yeah. family, you know, like all, all the Fs. Yeah. And, 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 I, and like yeah. I said, you know, I, I, you know, we and Matt and I had been following you and I was like, wow, there is a community of women mm-hmm. that don't fit the traditional, right. you know, stereotype of like a gun person. And I also think that, you know, we were really, we were women of faith, which was also a, a very appealing driving mm-hmm. force. And I realized that there was that, there was that group of women that yeah. just, they wanted that outlet, and yep. it was being able to provide that. And so, you know, yeah, I, I started doing Tactical, and then, like I said, the training started to become a thing. I, I actually ended up getting into law enforcement because I wanted yeah. – it's like just teaching women as, as a fire instructor wasn't enough. Right. Really. Uh, I like to add many, many careers in my right. lifeline. But sure. that <laughs> led you down, like, that path, like that one introduction. And, that it's like, you never yep. know what kind of opportunity or door it's going to open or where that's going to lead you in terms of where right. your interests lie. So you may think – you know, you want to go one path, but then you start down and you're like, wow, I actually like this and I actually like this. And then yeah. it just kind of like takes well, you in a different direction. Well, and, and I know, I know we've got to wrap this up now doing our show online. Oh, yes, <laughs> I have, but, but I do. I want you to leave everybody with one tip, the biggest takeaway, because now that there are these resources mm-hmm. by women, for women yep. who want to get into all of this, I still think at the core it's about finding your inner strength. So yes. what is one last thing that you would leave to our audience, the young women here at Turning Point USA, of how to find that inner strength and one bit of advice that you would give them? I would say, you know, always say yes whenever you're faced with a challenge that you have a, a, a very palatable fear that is the direction that you should go. You know, I, I find that, again, I go back to the Nikki Haley statement. It's mm-hmm. so spot on because whenever I have had the greatest uh, fears in my life, yes. when I've been able to say yes through them and just do it completely on faith and faith alone, that the next indicated step has always presented itself. Absolutely. And yeah. you don't have to work so hard. Mm-hmm. Just trust 
and be open and pay attention to yep. the signs that God is giving you. Yes. And you will always find your road to success. Well, oh, thank you, Brie. Beautiful. I thank do want to sharing your story. Brie. Oh, thank yes. You. It's, it's a beautiful story. And Brie is very open and honest mm -hmm. about all of this. If you want to go follow Brie, support her, give her, um, you know, she, she's great about continuing to share her yeah. wisdom and her yeah. knowledge on all things, not just, uh, relationships and finding inner strength, but firearm knowledge as well. So go and follow her all. Where can they find you? Facebook, sure. Instagram, Twitter. Absolutely. So Instagram, I would say is probably like my most, your yeah. go-to, yeah, my go-to, go uh, which would be Tactigal NYC. The other option is Facebook, of course, yeah. also under Tactigal Inc. Uh, I do have a website. It's tactigalnyc.com. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely open. Please direct message me if you ever have any questions. I'm awesome. I'm always free to give advice and cool. any information I might have. Well, stay tuned because this is not the last time that you are going to be seeing Brie here at the Turning Point <laughs> we've got USA. Some fun stuff yes, we've got some fun Brie, stuff yeah. planned. So stay tuned for some great behind the scenes footage and more episodes of Not Your Average Gun Girl coming your way. The Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast and its related companies, Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com, strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.